Hey guys, welcome to the Northfield Radio Program and Podcast. I want to talk to you guys today. I just I found this sermon that I preached back in 2018, and I, it's out of Numbers 13 and 14. I know what you're thinking, woohoo, Numbers 13 and 14, that's going to be a page turner. It's actually an incredible story about the children of Israel and how they go and search out this land. And it's an amazing land filled with milk and honey, and it's just overflowing with everything they're ever going to need. And they see all of the amazing stuff, but yet there's giants in the land and they start to freak out. Like they have a church business meeting. They want to stone Moses and Caleb and Joshua and Aaron. And they want to get rid of their leaders. A lot like a lot of churches today. They have a little bit of adversity, a little bit of crazy, and they want to just like go completely chaotic. So this is an incredible story about biblical leadership. And so I, I hope that this really encourages you. Um, and you get something out of this. As always, want to say thanks to Outpost Coffee for their support and just amazing beverages. Check those guys out at outpostcoffeeco.com. So here's the sermon. Hope you guys enjoy it. So it's no shock. The world is that we're that we're living in right now is in desperate need of legitimate leadership. Can I get an amen from somebody? It's in need of authentic, real leadership. And, and right now that is a buzzword. That's a hot buzzword that's really set in the minds of biz, the business world, the church world, leadership. Leadership is, or leaders is, is a big thing. And, and we have conferences on leaders. We have podcasts. We have blogs. We have um, every type of media out there on the idea of leadership. And you can hire leadership gurus to come into your church or your business to tell you how to be a good leader. If you're not a good leader, you can hire somebody to come in and tell you how to be a good leader. But really, honestly, I think leadership is more caught than taught. And and often when you are a leader, because right now that it's really cool to be that idea, have that idea or that um, title of a leader. Being a real leader can sometimes be lonely. Can I get an amen? It can be lonely. You, you can have to make decisions that may or may not be popular. You have to do things that people may or may not like. Um, everybody wants the title of leader, but nobody in the room wants, nobody really wants the, the responsibilities that leaders have. And today we're going to talk about Moses and Aaron. <clears throat> Moses and Aaron, they were tasked with being the leaders of the Israelites as they left Egypt and headed towards the promised land. And as you know, if you read the text, if you read the text, what was really apparent is that it was a, it was a super easy job. Like that was, that was super, no problems. The people of that day were a lot like the people of this day. Everybody got along. No one was fighting. There was no bickering. There was no, like they were submissive to leadership. There was no problems, right? That's, okay, let's back it up to Numbers chapter 13 and look at verse 25. <clears throat> because the people weren't really, they were, they were easy to work with. Just like people of today are easy to work with, amen? At the end of the 40 days... Verse 25 of chapter 13. At the end of the 40 days, they returned from spying out the land. So these, there were spies that went out to the... So God had promised this land to the Israelites. 
It was a land that was flowing with milk and honey. He promised this land to them. And they came, verse 26, and they came to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at, at Kadesh. They brought back the word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. These men had to carry grapes on they didn't carry them in bags like we carry out of Walmart or Homeland. They had two poles and had two men carrying these clusters of grapes. They were humongous boulders. Like one grape is like a boulder. And so they talk about they brought this fruit to the congregation and they showed this to the men and women. They told them about all these things that happened in, in the land and they showed them the fruit. Verse 27 and they, told, and they told him, we came to the land to which you sent us that flows with milk and honey, and this is the fruit. So this is, look at, look at this, this is amazing. Could you imagine someone walking in here with a cluster of grapes that it took two grown men to carry in? Man, that's, that's good stuff, right? So verse 28, here we go. They're talking up the land. This is amazing. It's beautiful. It's, glor it's glorious. However, verse 28, the people who dwell in the land are strong and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak were, Anak were there. And you said, now who's Anak? Now, if you keep, we'll keep reading here in a minute. But Anak is a descendant of a Nephilim. You're like, what's a Nephilim? If you read in Genesis chapter 6, the Nephilim were giants and they were wicked and they were terrible. They were horrible men. I, I, I would even maybe go as far as to call them demons. I mean, they're, they're giants. So the uh, 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 Amalekites dwell in the land of ne Negba. And the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the hill country. So they, they're talking about all the things that are happening in this land, all the people that dwell here, all of this, these things that are in this land. Yes, it's a land that flows with milk and honey, but there is going to be some trials and some adversities. And the Canaanites dwell in the, in the, uh, by the sea along the Jordan. And then verse 30, But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against these people, for they are strong. They're stronger than we are. And so they brought to the people of Israel a bad report. And so... Caleb and Joshua come and they say, this land is amazing. We can occupy this. We can go get this land. It's ours. God's promised us this land. Let's go get it. And they tell this to the church. And the church has a business meeting. Those are good. So um, they brought to the people this, this, this bad report. So these people start murmuring and complaining and, as normal church people do. And the land throughout, in verse 32... And the land through which we have gone to spy it out, and the land that it devours its inhabitants, and all the people that we saw in it are of great height. So these are giants. They're Nephilim. They're giants. And if you look in verse 33, it says, To us, we're grasshoppers in their sights. We are like grasshoppers. And so now we begin in verse 14, or chapter 14. 
Because here, so here's the backstory. God says, this is the land that I want to give you. I promise to give it to you. It's a land that flows with milk and honey. Everything you're going to need to survive and to colonize and to do whatever you need to do, it's there. You're going to be able to take this land. That's just like some of us in the room. God tells us that we're going to be able to do certain things and we start making up our own minds about what God's already told us. God said, don't be afraid. But we are afraid. God said, I am here, I can take this, I can do this, but we think in our minds it can't be done. But it can. And so look at, verse, look at chapter 14. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night, and all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. So where did they just come from? Where did, Moses, or where did all the Israelites just come from? Millions, where did they just come from? Egypt. 400 years of harsh slavery. It had been not a picnic. It wasn't a, a, a time of amazingness for the Israelites. They were under harsh slavery, killed, wounded, pillaged on a regular basis. So the whole congregation said to them, Would it be that we had died in the land of Egypt? Really? God is, like, God is standing here telling you, I'm going to give you this amazing land. And they don't see it. The people don't see it. God sent spies to go look at the land, check it out, bring back a report. They said this land is beautiful. Yes, there are some giants in the land, but it's incredible and God's going to give it to us. And Caleb's like, let's go occupy this thing. And the church is like, well... Would it have been better if we just died back there in Egypt because this is just horrible? Keep reading in verse, uh, verse 2. Or would it have been that we had died in the wilderness? Why is it the Lord is bringing us into the land to fall by the sword? Questioning God. God's goodness to them. Our wives and our little ones will become prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? Question mark. Yeah, right. Okay. And they said to one another, let us choose a leader to, so that we can go back to Egypt. Isn't that great? God set up leadership and the people were like, well, let's choose somebody else. Let's choose someone else. Let's choose someone else. Let's keep going. Verse 5. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel and, jo and Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh. Who, had, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, the land which you have passed through to spy it out is exceedingly good. It's a good land. And if the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into the land which he swore to give to us. A land that flows with milk and honey. Honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of this land for they are bred for us. So God set up these leaders. They've got Moses and Aaron, Caleb and Joshua. These are the leaders that God has set forward in this time, at this moment, to say, listen, I can take, God will take the country and will establish it and we'll have our own land and it will have everything that we need. You've got leaders to get you there and the people begin to murmur and complain. And if you read in verse 10, look at this. This sometimes feels like a, a Baptist business meeting, verse 10. Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. I've been in business meetings that were semi 
tents. Sounds fun, right? Let's get some stones and let's stone them. But the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of the meeting to all the people of Israel. So the church is having a fuss. And they're ready to kill their leaders. Moses and Aaron lived in the midst of all of this. They lived in in this whole realm. And they're tasked with leading these stiff-necked group of people to the promised land. Oh my gosh! Seriously! And I'm going to just go ahead and say, in verse, when we talked about there in verse 8, it doesn't matter if there are giants in the land. God is a giant slaying God. Amen? So I, I'm serious. You read that text. Caleb says, if the Lord delights in us, he'll bring us into the land he, gave to, that, he swore to gave to, that he swore to give to us. Only don't rebel against him. And don't fear these people of the land. Don't fear the giants. They're like bread to us. I love Caleb. I love that mindset. They're like bread. They're like this is they're food for us. These people are nothing. And that's just what people do. Is we see the adversities, we see the giants, we see the stuff. And that's and, and we and we like to try to make ourselves like Caleb and Joshua or or Moses and Aaron the leaders. Like most of us in the room including myself are the are the quivering Israelites in the background grumbling and complaining. Like that's most of us. And God's all the while saying, I can slay that giant. I can slay that thing that's in front of you. And, and so Moses and Aaron and Joshua and Caleb, they're trying to lead these people well. But like most church folks, they have a better plan. What's their plan? Let's go back to Egypt and die. Let's, uh, let's go back there. It was so much better there than it is here. Really? Really? You, you come up with a small, you come against a small adversity and you're willing to run back to the place that's familiar and comfortable and it's filled with turmoil and sin, but you want to, because you want to get away from the adversity and the trials and the temptations. I'm going to promise you, the world in which we live is filled with trials and temptations and problems. They're, they're going to come. Jesus told us in John chapter 16 that to expect it, it's coming. But know this, that I've overcome it. I've overcome this present world. And this is the thing that, and here's the thing that blows me away. Everybody in the day in which we live said, man, it would just be so amazing if God would just speak audibly. I was at a conference once, and a guy, they were talking about God speaking audibly, and John Piper was there, and John Piper said, well, if you want to hear God speak audibly, just read the Bible out loud. (laughs) I love that. So, this is the thing that just absolutely just blows my mind. The people of today say things like, I wish that God would speak audibly. They had that. These people had this. They had God telling them what to do, audibly speaking to them, and they still don't believe. They still have no faith. So it's proof that if we had God speaking audibly to us, that we'd still have lack of faith. That's the reason in Hebrews, when it tells us, Faith, having faith is what pleases the Lord. Having genuine, honest-to-goodness faith and the things that aren't seen, that pleases the Lord. That pleases the Lord. And these people had God showing up time after time after time, speaking to them about what they need to be doing, and they still were wicked, and they still had stubborn hearts, and they still were stiff-necked and immovable, and it's just 
it's a sign of what humanity is. The depravity of humanity is on full display here. Humanity has the same, and, and here's the thing, human beings have the same problem today that they did back in this day. They think, they thought, just like you and I think, we're the smartest people in the entire world. No one is smarter than me. No one's smarter than our generation. No one's smarter than our country. We're better. We're the best. We're the big. We're, we're, we're huge. We're just, we've got it all. We've got it all. And Moses and Aaron had to lead these people. There's days, there's days that this guy, I probably, I mean, this, I mean the buck stopped with Moses. Like he was the leader. And I'm sure there were days where he was just frustrated. There, he was just, just frustrated. But do, do you think, do you think that there were moments that he may have been afraid to do what God commanded him? Think about that. He's got millions of people to oversee and to lead. And when he comes to the congregation to give them the report of what they need to be doing, they start throwing a fit. There may be moments where he has fear to stand up for what's right. And when the people don't like what he's called out to do, I mean, they just said, let's stone him. I don't like this. Let's stone him. And then God has to intervene because the church has almost got a borderline riot going on. That's insane. And there's going to be moments in your life when you walk with Jesus where you're going to be tempted to waver from the truth and you're going to be tempted to follow what's popular and easy, but God has given you a command not to be afraid. Joshua chapter 1, verse 9, it says, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. God is with us in the midst of the storm, and He shows His power in that moment. In fact, if you want to... In Psalms 27, it says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat me up, my adversaries and my foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Like, this is Moses's, this is exactly the mindset that Moses had. This is why it is important not to have a false bravado and confidence in your own abilities. Having this false confidence in your own abilities will lead to destruction. But when you lay your confidence at the feet of Jesus and trust Him with your plans, trust Him with your life, things will work as Jesus has accorded them to work. And this is exactly the mindset that Moses walked in. He was willing to lead the people and guide them even when it wasn't popular. He loved the people enough, look, listen to this, he loved these people enough that he was willing to have hard conversations with God about these people. You say, what do you mean hard conversations? Look at verse 11. Verse 11. So the congregation in verse 10 wanted to stone them. And then in verse 11, the Lord said to Moses, how long will the people despise me? Think about that statement. God himself speaks this out of his mouth. How long will this people despise me? And how long will they not believe in me in the spirit of all the signs that I have done among them? Like, 
God has done incredible things for this people and they still don't believe. He's delivered them from slavery to freedom and they bump up against a little bit of adversity and they think that, they, that God can't handle it. Do they forget that He just split the Red Sea? He killed every one of the Egyptian armies in the Red Sea. Did they forget all of the signs and wonders that happened in Egypt? How do they not do this? Verse 12, look at this. So this is God speaking. I will strike them with the pestilence, man, and I will disinherit them, and I will make of you a nation greater and mightier than they. So what's God just saying here? I'm going to kill them all. I'm, I'm done with these morons. Like, I'm going to kill them. Like, this is God Almighty. And this is why I say prayer, legitimate, honest to goodness, if you're a believer, prayer changes things. Look at verse 13. But Moses said to the Lord. So he begins praying and having this conversation with the Lord. Then the Egyptians will hear of it. He's like, wait, 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 Father, Father, wait. If you do this, the Egyptians are going to hear of this. They're going to hear of it. For you brought up this people in your might from among them, and they will tell the, inhabit- the inhabitants of this land that they have heard that you, O Lord, are in the midst of the people. For you, O Lord, are seen, are seen face to face, and your cloud stands over them, and you go before them in a pillar of the cloud by day and a a pillar of fire by night. Now, if you kill this people as one man, then the nations who have heard your fame will say, it is because the Lord was not able to bring the people into the land that I swore to give them. Like, look at that conversation. Moses is concerned about God's reputation. Like, God, wait, 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 Father, if you kill these people like you want to kill them, your reputation, they're going to look at you and say, wait a minute, God couldn't do what he needed to do. So he just killed them. And your reputation could get tarnished here. Don't, don't, like, this is the thing that blows my mind with Moses, because Moses has this conversation a couple of different times in the Scriptures where it seems like he changes God's mind. Like, that's like, that's insane to me. And now, please let the power, verse 17, and now let the power of the Lord be great as you have promised, saying, the Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquities and transgressions, but will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generations. Please pardon the iniquities of these people according to the greatness of your steadfast love, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt until now. So he is pleading with the Lord to be merciful. Like this is what I'm talking Prayer, legitimate, honest to goodness, humble prayer changes things. Like, this is incredible to me. Moses was, a, I'm telling you, Moses is an incredible man. Amen? Most anyone else in this room, including myself, God comes up to me and says, listen, Caleb, um, the people of Bartlesville, they've been horrible, they've been wicked, 
In fact, the entire state of Oklahoma, I'm not pleased with any of them. And I'm going to go ahead and kill them all. They're like, yeah, I got some people I don't like either. Go ahead and do that, God. I'm going to go ahead and step back here with you. Let me step behind you. Go ahead and fire your arrows, please. Kill them all. Because everybody in the room, we've got some people in our lives that we don't like. Because if we had the power of God for a minute, let's just be honest. Let's be honest. Moses pleads for these people. Not just for the people, but he also pleads for God's reputation. Wow. Wow. He had the courage enough not only to stand up to the people and lead them as they needed to be led, but he also had wisdom enough to stand and have a conversation with God and, and pleaded for his glory and for the people's good. Sounds like somewhere else in the New Testament, Romans chapter 8, for all things work together for good for those who love him, for our good and for God's glory. And here's the thing. God's merciful. Amen? God's merciful. And they ha he, he has this conversation in this text with God. But his mercy has an extent. Like that's the thing that blows my mind with people is they're just so brazenly sinful against God. They shake their fist. I know men and women have shaken their fist in the face of God. And I'm like, you are crazy. That's not brave. You're crazy. God can kill you if he wants to. God's mercy has an extent. It, it, it has a moment where it's going to stop. Look at verse 26 through 30. I want you to see this because of what God does. And the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron saying, How long shall this wicked congregation grumble against me? I have heard the grumblings of these people of Israel, which they grumble against me. Say to them as I live, it declares the Lord, that you have said in my hearing that I will do at, I will do to you. I will do what you, you've asked. So I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you a little bit here. I'm going to give a little bit. Verse 29 he says, "Your dead bodies shall fall in the wilderness, and of all the numbers listed in the census, from 20 years old and upwards, who have grumbled against me, not one shall come into the land where I swore." that I would make you dwell, except Caleb the son of Jephunneh and Joshua the son of Nun. So Caleb and Joshua, they're in the clear. Hey, amen. We're good, Joshua. We're in. So, but your little ones who you said would become prey, I will bring, in, I, I will bring them in, and they shall know the land that you have rejected. But as for you, your dead bodies shall fall in the wilderness." And your children shall be shepherds in the wilderness for 40 years and shall suffer for your faithful, faithlessness until the last of your dead bodies lies in the wilderness according to the number of the days in which you spied out the land. Forty days a year for each day you shall bear your iniquity for 40 years and you shall know my displeasure. Guys. This is, this is, God's mercy has limits. God's mercy has limits. These people put God to the test. If you look in verse 20 through 23, they put God to the test not once, not twice, not three times, 
not four times. If you count that up in verse 20, they put God to, te to the test ten different times. They have not obeyed my voice. Shall, in verse 23, shall they see the land that I swore, they shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers, and none of these who despise me shall see it. So there comes a point, yeah, God was mercy to an extent, but God said, I'm not going to let sin run rampant in my presence. He, and here's the thing, he was merciful ten different times. He didn't destroy them ten different times. Most of us as parents would not allow that with our children. Amen? Can I get an amen from a parent? Maybe once or twice, but if my kids continuously wanted to just brazenly disobey me and not listen, there's going to be consequences. And after ten times, God finally lays the hammer down. How, like that, and you say, well, that's so rough that he'd do that. Are you serious? How amazing does that make our God? That he was willing to give them mercy ten different times when they shook their fists in, their, in his face and said, I'm not going to follow you. I'm not going to obey you. I'm not going to do what you've called. I'm going to call into question everything you say, God. God didn't kill them the first time. He had every right to kill them the first time, but he continuously was slow to anger. He was willing to set aside his judgment for these insane people ten different times. But the real question, because here's the thing we can do here, so we can get all just piled up in this text and be like, oh, that's great. But here's the real question I have for you this morning, is how many times has God been merciful to you? How many times has God not killed you and you deserved it? Come on. Because everybody in the room has fallen short, according to Romans chapter 3. And God didn't kill you. Like, that's amazing. The, how m amazing and merciful does that make our God that He's willing to step into your life and into my life and into our story and to show us mercy when we deserve wrath. He gives us mercy when we deserve wrath. Think about your own sin. Think about your own life. God could have snuffed you out and been justified in doing it, but He didn't. So well, my, life's a, my life's hard, Caleb. You don't know the things that are going on in my life. I don't need to know the things that are going on in your life. I know that God has prepared a table before you, and He has given you the abilities. He has given you the grace. He has given you the mercy to walk where you need to walk and do what you need to do. And some of us in the room are stiff-necked, just like these people. And I'm going to tell you there's going to come a point where God's mercy ends. Through all of this, Moses leads and doesn't waver. He's willing to do what's right and stand up for God and stand up for what God has called him to do, even though it wasn't popular. He pleaded with the people, listen, we spied out the land. God has told us this is where we're supposed to be. This is what we're supposed to do. God is giving us this land. It's not going to be a problem. God is with us. And some of you in the room, God is with you and you don't even realize it. You're not even paying attention that God is with you every step of the way and you just, you, you wring your hands in worry and concern and fear over your life and you don't need to do that because God has already said, I've slayed those, those giants. Just walk. 
Just keep going forward. There's going to be moments when you're at school or you're in your job and you're going to be in a place that it's not going to be popular to do what God's called you to do. But, as a Christian, this is where genuine, authentic, biblical leadership is brought to light. Doing what's right, even though it's not popular, is still the right thing to do. Following Jesus, doing what Jesus has called you to do as a father, a husband, a mother, a brother, a sister, a mom, a dad, whatever that is, God's called you to do something specific in your life. And you find that wisdom by getting into God's Word and doing what God's called you to do. And when you do this, God is pleased with you. And you're rewarded when you follow Jesus, when you follow His Word, when you follow His commands, He is pleased with you. You say, well, how do you know that, Caleb? How do you know that God is pleased with me? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, and the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their, their commandments. Verse 3, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. And so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And then you look at verse 6. And this is, this is where you say, well, Caleb, how do I know that God is going to reward me and please with me if I have faith in Him? Verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please Him. What did that just say? Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. So I don't know where you are. I don't know how you're, where you're struggling at today. And you're like, Caleb, I just don't feel close to God. I don't feel close to Him. Well, I, most of the men and women in this book felt far away from Him. Rich Mullins said this as a quote. Closeness to God is not about a feeling. Closeness to God is about being obedient. Doing what's right. Being obedient. Having faith. Following Jesus. Even when it's cloudy, even when you can't see the next step, even when you don't know, you're faithful, you have faith in Jesus to be able to take care of where you're at today and tomorrow, that's, that's the sign that you know and follow the God of the universe. Without, without that, without that faith, it is impossible to please Him. Because he's a rewarder. What's the scripture say? He's, he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He's a rewarder of those who believe he exists and follow him on ashamed abandonment. This, this quote, in fact, I, I, want, I want to read this quote to you guys because this quote was brought up yesterday and I loved this quote. It says, it's by C.S. Lewis. And C.S. Lewis said, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. 
like an ignorant child who wants to go making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offering of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. Isn't God's word amazing how, how incredible that message is? Doing the right thing, being a leader sometimes takes some risks, but doing the right thing is always the right thing to do. Never waver in your faith and your trust for Christ because he will do abundantly more than you and I can ever even begin to understand. Just be faithful. Be faithful to what Jesus has put in your life and it's going to transform the way you and I view the world around us and how we interact with one another. It's going to be incredible. To find out more about the Northfield Radio Program and Caleb Gordon, go to www.calebgordon.com.